in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there is no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomesdown at your service and... Tani Tanuviel, the resident KUCI Middle-Earth elf. For What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM, and streaming live on KUCI.org. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore, composer for the Lord of the Rings movies. What a great, what a great, great, great score. This is What Would Arwen Do on KUCI-FM, Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine, and this is, this is an interesting program, I believe. You may ask, what is this program? Well, If a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Orange County, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? I.e., what would Arwen do? Some ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. But on this program, I ask, we ask, what would Arwen do? If you're wondering who Arwen was, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and the lord of Rivendell as recorded in The Lord of the Rings, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or, in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias writes, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, dwarves, hobbits, and the like partially represent human beings, In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. 
I believe, we believe, this elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through the gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. So, having the incredible privilege of having a public affairs program here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and being friends with an elf in beautiful Orange County right here in the Middle Earth campus of UCI, when things arise that I want to think more deeply about, I like to ask my elf friend, Tani Tanuville, the question, what would Arwen do? This is Milo Longsdown at your service, and with me today, as always, is my elf friend, Tani Tanuville, the resident KUCI elf. Good afternoon, Tani. My govanin and suile. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is a <laughs> wet, wet day here in the Shire. Oh, it is an absolutely beautiful day here in the Shire. All the trees are shining with their leaves all rustling with the... Uh, the sparkle of water and the torrents are running down the gutters, carrying everything away and making everything nice and fresh and clean. And all of the little bushes are dancing. I was um, <clears throat> coming over here and I was in the left turn lane and I saw something on the road and I looked down and I thought, oh, what's that on the road? And as I pulled up next to it and looked out my window and looked down, in the middle of all this, you know, eight lane highway was a little... Uh, about the size of a grapefruit, a little tuft of green moss coming up through the concrete. <laughs> Just happy as a little clam there and, and growing greener by the moment. My gosh, that's delightful. Well, this is Tuesday, October the 19th. And we're fairly jumping with joy over an announcement that we that came over the weekend. Press release. Press release. <laughs> Press release. Because we love all things Middle Earth, and being both of us lovers not only of the books, but also of the films. We have exciting news for all of our our listeners. And we should say, let's keep them in suspense one more little bit. Let's say hello to our <laughs> listeners here listening live over the frequency modulation waves at KUCI FM 889 every Tuesday here at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, but also listening live at KUCI.org, streaming live alternative radio 24 by 7, the voice of the University of California, Irvine. So welcome you all listening live, but also welcome to those of you listening to us after the fact on the podcast. You can download this podcast if you'd like to listen to it again at KUCITalk.org or in iTunes Search for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, and you will find a logo there for KUCI, and it'll say, What Would Arwen Do? And you can listen to our podcast that way as well, free as always. But the press release, Elf Princess. Yes, the press release. I I have to say, um, Sunday, uh, even elves get the blues a little bit. And I was, um, I don't know, I think it was just kind of dismal out, and I'd gotten up and I'd you know, just had a few errands and things to do and was doing some studying, which I always do in the morning, um, and decided to turn on the computer, and there's an email that said, good news, good news. Well, first off, I thought that it uh, was that you had received a copy of the Hobbit video from our friends at the Maverick Theater, from from um, um, Nate over at the Maverick Theater, which if people would like to hear that podcast uh, you know, that interview, it's up on podcast um, at, at iTunes. But I thought, oh, it's probably, he probably got that already. And then I saw it's official. And dated Los Angeles, October 15th, 2010, the official press release. 
The two films based on The Hobbit are now greenlit and will yeah. be in principal photography in February 2011 under the direction of Peter Jackson. It was jointly announced today by Toby Emmerich, President and Chief Operating Officer of New Line Cinema, Alan Horn, President and Chief Operating Officer of Warner Brothers, and Steve Cooper, Co-Chief Executive Officer of MGM Incorporated, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Jackson said, quote, Exploring Tolkien's Middle-Earth goes way beyond a normal filmmaking experience. It's an all-immersive journey into a very special place of imagination, beauty, and drama. We're looking forward to re-entering this wondrous world with Gandalf and Bilbo and our friends at New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, and MGM. Talking about this announcement, Emmerich said, quote, Peter is a filmmaker of incomparable ability. Having him return to Middle-earth to produce and direct is a dream come true. A true original, Peter is a gifted storyteller, visionary director, and pioneer in film technology. Reuniting with Peter, Fran, and Filippa truly makes it feel like we're going there and back again. Horn said, quote, there is no human being on the planet as qualified as Peter Jackson to direct these films. Peter is incredibly talented and has the creative vision and experience to bring this beloved property to life in a way no other filmmaker could. And the team of Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens has proven through their work on the Lord of the Rings trilogy that no one is more skilled at transforming Tolkien's written words into a vibrant living language that makes the audience believe they are not merely visiting Middle-earth but actually living in it. We couldn't be more thrilled and look forward to seeing The Hobbit take shape. So, so it goes on and on and on, and I'm just so excited, I can't believe it. <laughs> I am too, and since you have a little more background in film and the way these things progress, um, some of the questions that come immediately to my elvish mind are, does this now mean that they can start the search for the rest of the cast and sign them? Yes, so let's answer the questions one at a time. Greenlit, what is it, the verb to greenlight in Hollywood jargon? It means that a film has been approved by and committed funds by a producing organization. In this case, we don't have one, we don't have two, we have, yes, three. Warner Brothers and MGM, two of the largest and most historic film organizations on the planet Earth, as well as New Line Cinema. So we have three production companies saying that they are giving the go-ahead. They've committed the money to do the production, and that means that Peter Jackson can sign the actors that he is already, you know, widely. There were tons of rumors after this, of course, about casting. Martin Freeman looks like, even though he's got those commitments to British television for the mm -hmm. series Sherlock, about Sherlock Holmes, in which he plays Dr. John Watson, but Martin Freeman is broadly assumed to be playing Bilbo. Mm. And, of course, we expect mm. the others to come back. So, yes, at this point in time, sets can be built, actors can be signed officially, and 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 filming could literally begin today or actually on, on the 15th. The moment that it's greenlit, at that moment, money mm -hmm. can be spent, contracts mm -hmm. can be signed. Next question? Well, um, two a little bit. Um, one would be having three production companies. Does that mean that there are more people that can bog things down with approvals as you go along? That's a very good question. We, of course, don't have the printed copy of Peter Jackson's contract as director. Mm -hmm. That's a private contract. And so we don't know the terms. But Peter Jackson, 
after having helmed a more than $1 billion worldwide mm. gross set of films, mm-hmm. undoubtedly has ultimate say. I mean, he basically would sign on only under that conditions, I'm sure. So even though the production companies will regulate the cash flow, uh, they will they are not allowed, I'm sure, even though I haven't seen the contract, very mm-hmm. few people on earth have, right. but I'm sure that Peter Jackson has the final say on what's going to be in the films. So um, if only we had a Miravore to toast here, of course we wouldn't be doing that here on the campus of UCI with real Miravore, no. but it is definitely something uh, to celebrate and we can do any, you know, and kind of a, um, a cyber toast to the movie because it seems to me that the announcement on Friday was not just one announcement, but actually two. The first announcement was that the movie was greenlit financially. The movies. Movies. And, but the sex, second announcement was the confirmation of Peter Jackson as the director. Yes. That yes, that is correct. Up you to that point, it was clever and perceptive <laughs> elf you, yes. It was, you know, assumed that he probably would, but it, now it is a done deal. It's a done, done deal. Which I am very excited about. I mean, I would have loved to have seen what uh, Guillermo del Toro could have done, you know, had he been able to stay along for the entire ride um, on this little adventure. However, um, with him stepping out of it, in my heart, I was only hoping that I couldn't imagine anybody else but Peter Jackson, and I'm so thrilled that he will, in fact, uh, be be doing this. And do we... Do we know, have we heard any rumors with regards to whether or not Howard Shore will be doing the music? I can't imagine it would be anyone else. Well, I spent an hour last night trying to sift through all of the many rumors and everything flying around. There is no rumor flying around, no evidence on imdb.com, the Internet Movie Database, as to Howard Shore's involvement in the project. Mm. However, I cannot imagine him not being involved when you look at the leitmotifs, the themes that Howard Shore employed in The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. it's just yeah. inconceivable that he wouldn't be invited back. Right. And yet, one must point out that The Hobbit is a different book from The Lord of the Rings. That is correct. <clears throat> it is a different book. However, um, even the book, the book itself was originally written for children. However... Um, I wish I had the passage here in front of me because I was reading that um, even <clears throat> J.R. Tolkien himself remarked later on that um, I believe after he was uh, working on or had maybe even had finished The Lord of the Rings, that in retrospect, he probably would not have made that. He didn't really see it as a children's book, would not have made it a children's book. So um, so I th- I think that we will see a treatment of it that will appeal to the family, you know, like the, a little bit kind of like The Lord of the Rings type of thing, but you know, a little bit more of a leaning toward an adult audience because that is, after all, a gazillion of us out there. <laughs> so, yes, it's extremely exciting news. There are a million details to be worked out. There are many, many roles to be cast. We have various rumors. I mean, we, we've already read the rumor about Martin Freeman being Bilbo. We have rumors about... Well, it's just one more thing that uh, now, each week, I'm sure we will have something to be able to um, share with our listeners and to be excited about. For those of you who are just tuning in, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine 
I am Tani Tinuviel, the resident KCI Middle Earth Elf, having this grand adventure with Milo Lomsdown, the resident KCI Hobbit. I guess. <laughs> and we actually have um, some guests calling in very soon. Very shortly calling in. We're going to have a program about, I guess you would say there's some indication, some element of it being uh, regarding children. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to note that tomorrow is the 55th anniversary of the publication of The Return of the King, the third part of The Lord of the Rings. And in the first chapter of The Return of the King, there is a chapter called Minas Tirith, and there's a mention of children. Mm. At length, Baragond rose. Farewell for this time, he said. I have duty now till sundown, as have all the others here, I think. But if you are lonely, as you say, maybe you would like a merry guide about the city. My son would go with you gladly, a good lad, I may say. If that pleases you, go down to the lowest circle and ask for the old guest house in the Rath Kellardane, the Lamprite Street. You will find him there with other lads that are remaining in the city. There may be things worth seeing down at the great gate ere the closing. So this is something that he said to Pippin, as mm. Pippin was there. Mm-hmm. So Pippin came at last by arch streets and many fair alleys and pavements to the lowest and widest circle, and there he was directed to the Lamplighter's Street, a broadway running towards the great gate. In it he found the old guest house, a large building of gray-weathered stone with two wings running back from the street, and between them a narrow greensword, behind which was the many-windowed house, fronted along its whole width by a pillared porch and a flight of steps down on the grass. Boys were playing among the pillars the only children that Pippin had seen in Minas Tirith, and he stopped to look at them. Presently one of them caught sight of him, and with a shout he sprang across the grass and came into the street, followed by several others. There he stood in front of Pippin, looking up and down. "'Greetings,' said the lad. "'Where do you come from? You are a stranger in the city.' "'I was,' said Pippin, "'but they say I have become a man of Gondor.' "'Oh, come,' said the lad. "'Then we will all men here.' But how old are you, and what is your name? I am ten years already, and shall soon be five feet tall. I am taller than you. But then my father is a guard, one of the tallest. What is your father? Which question shall I answer first? And it goes on. A a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful excerpt from The Return of the King. But there's another section that talks about the nature of childhood. And that closes The Return of the King, the book that was first published tomorrow, 55 years ago. And we're going to save that little excerpt to read in just a moment because I would like to share a little something from uh, the History of Middle-Earth, which was put together by Christopher Tolkien, Morgoth's Ring, the later Silmarillion. We get a little bit of a glimpse into elvish children here. Um, I was thinking, you know, I, it's hard, I was hard-pressed to find any mention of children in Lord of the Rings, elf children in Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. But here in the later Quintus Silmarillion, we have um, from the section on of the laws and customs among the Eldar pertaining to marriage and other matters. And this is Elfwine's preamble. It says here, The Eldar grew in bodily form slower than men, but in mind more swiftly. They learned to speak before they were one year old, and in the same time they learned to walk and to dance, for their wills came soon to the mastery of their bodies. Nonetheless, there was less difference between the two kindreds, elves and men, in early youth, and a man who watched elf children at play might well have believed that they were the children of men, of some fair and happy people. For in their early days, elf children delighted still in the world about them, and the fire of their spirit had not consumed them, 
and the burden of memory was still light upon them. And it goes on to say that the Eldar wedded for the most part in their youth, and soon after their 50th year, they had few children, but these were very dear to them. And then finally, I just want to say, um, there was one other part that was um, <clears throat> about the children. Oh, yes. Also, the Eldar say that in the beginning and still more in the bearing of children, greater share and strength of their being in mind and body goes forth than in the making of mortal children. So it says, for this reason, it came to pass that the elder brought forth few children and also that their time of generation was in their youth or earlier life. And so today we're very excited because our guests will be Dr. Suzanne Tang and Tina Yang of Coastal Acupuncture and Natural Health Center. And we're going to be talking about fertility, how to have a healthy uh, pregnancy, uh, bringing forth gay and happy children into the world. And um, also, you know, if there are um, problems or challenges with getting pregnant, as there often are in this modern day. And we've had one of our guests call in. We're waiting for the second one. Wonderful. The elf princess, Tani, asked me to read the final, final bit here from The Return of the King. This is the very end of The Lord of the Rings. Because we do, although there are, we don't have many children or anything, but we do see that Sam comes home to the Shire and uh, weds Rosie and names his first child after one of the flowers of Lothlorien. Right. At last the three companions turned away, and never again looking back, they rode slowly homewards, and they spoke no word to one another until they came back to the Shire, but each had great comfort in his friends on the long gray road. At last they rode over the downs and took the east road, and then Mary and Pippin rode on to Buckland, and already they were singing again as they went. But Sam turned to Bywater, and so came back up the hill, as day was ending once more. And he went on, and there was yellow light and fire within, and the evening meal was ready, and he was expected. And Rose drew him in, and set him in his chair, and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back. And which, of course, we saw that uh, I was so thrilled that Peter Jackson included that in the movie. And we see Sam coming back home and coming up the hill and sitting down. And it's just a beautiful and very touching part of the movie. And I, and, and Peter Jackson ended the movie the same way J.R. Tolkien ended the book. Let's listen to the archives from the new music of the Lord of the Rings book by Doug Adams. We're going to listen to Eleanor and maybe even something else. This is KUCI in Irvine.
that was from the complete recordings of the Fellowship of the Ring. Oh my gosh. That was Flaming Red Hair. Flaming Red Hair. Oh, my gosh. Which in the movie was uh, one of my favorite um, songs that I was disappointed to find here that it had not made it into the original uh, soundtrack release um, because this was the part of the film where Frodo, uh, Sam's uh, sitting off to the side at uh, Bilbo's birthday party, and Frodo says, well, go ask Rosie <laughs> for a dance. And he's like, no, I just think I'll have another <laughs> ale. And he but says, oh, no, you won't. And he pushes him out there, pushed. and Rosie and him dance around the floor. And then, of course, we know that after their long quest for the ring, uh, Sam does come back, and Rosie has waited for him, and they marry and have several children of whom Eleanor is the first. Well, let us bring in our guests. We will go to the phone patch and say, Hello, Dr. Tang, are you there? Hi, yes, this is Dr. Tang. How are you? And Tina Yang, are you there? Yes, hi, Milo. How are you? It's a beautiful day in the Shire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little wet. (laughs) Beautiful. Hi, Dr. Tang and Tina. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and being um, available to talk to our listeners about how to have a healthy pregnancy and how to overcome maybe even some challenges uh, that may arise with getting pregnant. Um, Before we jump into our interview, I would like to uh, mention for our listeners uh, just how they can contact you. You are both at Coastal Acupuncture and Natural Health Center, Right here in Costa Mesa, 1831 Orange Avenue, Suite E in Costa Mesa. The phone number over there is 949-646-4325. And can I mention the website as well? Sure. Um, www.coastalacupuncturectr, so like Coastal Acupuncture Center, but the CTR is abbreviated, .com. And um, I understand that... so. Uh, Dr. Tang, you are a naturopathic doctor and uh, board-certified acupuncturist and herbalist. And Tina, a fourth-generation Chinese medical practitioner, also California board-certified as an acupuncturist and herbalist. Uh, And my understanding is that you both will be um, doing a lecture a week from this Thursday, Thursday, October 28th, uh, at the, uh, right here in Costa Mesa at the Wyndham Hotel. Could you Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, we're actually uh, uh, speaking about uh, healthy pregnancies, happy babies, and we're presenting a complimentary lecture on how to promote your fertility naturally with nutrition, uh, naturopathic medicine, and acupuncture. And we'll be discussing all the different factors that could possibly interfere with um, optimal fertility and some of the conditions that are associated with fertility with infertility, rather. I think many people are pretty um, familiar with this. I, I uh, There was a time when I really didn't know, you know, many people who uh, struggled with fertility issues, but it seems that now uh, so many, uh, you know, of my friends, either their children or uh, their sisters or, or, you know, someone, you know, is actually struggling. And I think um, they say, you know, that this is partly due that, to the fact that people are waiting a little later uh, in life, you know, in their marriages to have children. And um, so this is one of those things that it's just, you know, kind of part of our culture. And yet, um, could you just share a little bit, maybe Dr. Tang, could you share a little bit about um, how natural 
you know, naturopathic medicine uh, can help uh, rather, you know, with, with issues of, regarding fertility. Sure, and I wanted to also just touch on what you mentioned about the rising rates of infertility. It's true that women are, you know, um, are more educated. They're putting, they're um, starting a family. They're putting off starting a family because they want to start their careers. So age is a factor, but I do feel that, um, you know, the statistic is that uh, over 12%, almost 12% of the population is, is struggling with infertility. Mm. And, um, and we feel that, you know, we do see a lot of patients that come in and, who need fertility support. So we really wanted to educate people about what they can do. So I don't know if a lot of people know about naturopathic medicine is, but it's basically um, a system of, of health care that includes um, uh, herbal medicine, nutritional counseling, lifestyle changes, detoxification, uh, bioidentical hormones. So those are some of the, we use the most natural therapies out there to help with optimizing um, the body's ability to heal and to promote health and wellness. And specifically for um, fertility, we really do feel that that four months before trying to get pregnant, the four months before your conception um, is critical. Uh, that's because there's so many nutritional factors that help to promote healthy egg, sperm, and fetal development. And also there are a lot of things that can be detrimental to fertility. Uh, for example, environmental toxicity such as heavy metals, um, chemicals such as uh, biophenol A, which is in plastics, mm-hmm. uh, poor diet, um, nutritional deficiencies, um, poor food you know, choices, and unhealthy lifestyles. So uh, all of those factors are what, uh, with naturopathic medicine, we really look at those closely. We take the time to sit down with our patients, go over their history, go over the lifestyle, the stress levels, or diet, um, order lab tests, and help to identify what are the what are your what are what is a contributing factor to the person's infertility, and to give them tools to be able to overcome uh, those obstacles. Mm, that's fantastic. It, it's amazing. I'm reading the flyer on Thursday, October twenty eighth, twenty ten, at six p.m. at the Wyndham Hotel. Free self parking and light refreshments. Seating is limited. RSVP today. And for information and and I guess RSVP, please dial seven one four. Seven nine seven eight three five six, but I was noticing in in the flyer that we have in front of us, there are many causes of infertility. I I had heard of poor sperm quality and so forth, but there's hypothyroidism, polycystic ovarian syndrome, luteal phase defect, heavy metal, environmental toxicities, nutritional deficiencies, genitourinary infections, endometriosis, low ovarian reserve. Uh, my question is, one of the things that is listed as a possible help to this is acupuncture. How does acupuncture help with low fertility? Um, this is Tina. Um, I, I can address uh, the acupuncture aspect of promoting fertility. Um, acupuncture is part of Chinese medicine, which has been around for over 5,000 years. And one of the things that we um, can help patients with is is assisting them with regulating their menstrual cycles, um, balancing out their hormone levels, and in this way we're able to help um, promote ovulation in women that are having problems with ovulatory function or maybe their menstrual cycle is very irregular or they're not even having a menstrual cycle. So it's kind of a mystery as far as, as when to try to conceive. So with acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine, we're able to 
balance out the endocrine system and the hormone levels in the woman's body to help um, promote regular cycles and ovulation. So that is definitely one way. And I think one of the common factors that we see a lot in our practice is that stress is always a component with um, infertility, whether it's um, a male factor, infertility, or female. I think it's, you know, everybody has their fertility journey that they take, and it's a stressful process for, for most patients. And acupuncture can definitely help to relax the nervous system, um, reduce stress levels in the body, and also um, reduce anxiety to also help optimize fertility for um, both women and men. Um, Tina and Dr. Tang, you um, both were um, involved here at UCI at the Susan Samuel, uh, I always get the title mixed up, Center for Integrative Medicine, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you um, have a close connection here with uh, the community here at uh, UC Irvine. I think um, I want to thank you, Dr. Tang, for explaining a little bit more about what natural uh, pathic medicine is because I think a lot of times people just kind of don't really know. And I think also the same with acupuncture. Um, people just say, ooh, I don't like needles, and they just dismiss <laughs> acupuncture because they, they somehow equate it with what happens when they go to the doctor to get a shot or something. And um, so could you just speak a little bit to, to that, to kind of take that some of that uh, fear away from um you know, considering using acupuncture um, to help, you know, to create a healthy pregnancy? Uh, sure. We, acupuncture is actually a modality within Chinese medicine. And aside from acupuncture, we have other methods of treatment, such as acupressure. Um, we also treat, you know, with lifestyle counseling and guidance, just like in naturopathic medicine and herbal medicine, too. So there's several tools in, in our bag of, of tricks, so to speak, when we treat our patients. So um, oftentimes, if a patient is um, fearful of needles, we have alternatives where we can use um, acupressure, we can use magnet therapy. Um, but for the most part, I think we can help our patients overcome the fear by really differentiating the, um, the types of needles that are used in, in our treatments versus what they're used to seeing when they go to a doctor's office for a blood draw or for a vaccination, for example. So our needles are very tiny. They're hair thin. Um, the gauge of the needles are about half or less than half of the size of the needles that are used when you get your blood drawn. Mm-hmm. So, and I can. Uh, I just wanted to jump in and attest to, um, because I was I was one of those people that was a bit skeptical. I had heard uh, many good things about the incredible benefits of acupuncture. Uh, but before I met uh, you, you both, I had not actually had an acupuncture treatment myself, and I had a, a little accident, actually a, a, a dancing accident, and it had severely bruised my arm um, when my dance partner let me go and came in for a treatment, and I was absolutely amazed at how fast the bruise healed how uh, much better I felt. I became a a regular with acupuncture and um, it's it's a whole different thing. The the needles don't hurt. Uh, It's actually one of the most relaxing and rejuvenating um, modes of that that I've ever that I've ever encountered, and I've you know been involved with yoga and meditation and all all types of things. But it's a it's a wonderful. Um, healing modality, and I'm very excited uh, because I have talked to people who have actually had um, 
help with uh, creating a healthy pregnancy through uh, naturopathic medicine and acupuncture. Yes, Milo, you're waving your hand over there. Yes, I wanted to remind our listeners, we're listening to Tina Yang, a fourth-generation Chinese medical practitioner who is board-certified acupuncturist and herbalist, as well as Dr. Suzanne Tang, not only a board-certified acupuncturist and herbalist, but a licensed naturopathic doctor. One of the elements that you list as something that can optimize fertility is diet and nutrition. Can you give us one example of a food that we should eat if we want to be more fertile? <laughs> or some some food we should not eat? Yeah, uh, I can speak to that. I don't know if there's a, one specific food that makes someone completely fertile, but there are definitely lots of studies that suggest that uh, a healthy diet that's um, rich in whole foods, vegetables, whole grains, fruits, nuts and seeds and beans, and low in processed foods, um, high in sugar, refined flours, additives and trans fatty acids can significantly affect fertility. Um, in fact, there was a study recently um, by Harvard School of Public Health that found that multiple lifestyle factors, a whole, whole foods diet, a low glycemic index diet, which is usually foods that are low in the whites, like white flour, white potatoes, white sugar, that are high in monounsaturated fats, which is, rich, is found in nuts and seeds and avocados, um, vegetables and whole fat dairy and low in trans fatty acids with supplementation, with multiple vitamin supplementation, weight control, and physical activity is associated with um, 69% lowered risk of ovulatory disorder infertility, which is infertility Ooh. due to problems with ovulation. Mm-hmm. So, so diet plays an incredible incredible part in um, promoting fertility. Also, a healthy diet provides um, the necessary nutrients to uh, promote fertility. Um, to give you just a few examples, um, let's see, vitamin C, for example, which is found in broccoli and, of course, we know citrus fruits and peppers, helps with um, uh, uh, ovarian function. So egg production helps with ovulation, helps with promoting um, plentiful motile sperm and um, as a pre- precursor to making um, hormones. And vitamin E is another one that is an antioxidant, really great for helping to support healthy sperm um, as well as making estrogen, but also helps with making the endometrial lining, which is the uterine lining, um, nice and thick and healthy, rich in blood supply, which is important for for the implantation of the, of the baby, the embryo. So, so really rich, a really good diet is essential mm, for thank fertility. You. You're welcome. I, I'm curious also, um, because a lot of times we tend to focus simply on the issues of fertility with regards to the woman. How important is it that the man is also, um, you know, having a healthy lifestyle? I mean, can his diet and that uh, his stress level and all of that affect, uh, you know, their ability to uh, create a healthy pregnancy as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, uh, you know, when you look at... Uh, the factors, male versus female factors um, that cause uh, infer- that are infertility factors. Both men and women are equally involved. Mm. So I think with men's sperm, they're really uh, influenced by antioxidants. So antioxidants such as um, zinc and selenium uh, are really essential for preventing free radical damage that takes place with that can uh, damage sperm, that can decrease sperm count. Um, for men especially, I think lifestyle factors are really key. Um, things like nicotine, caffeine, 
um, certain types of drugs. Alcohol can certainly decrease sperm motility, uh, mobility, and decrease sperm counts. So, um, <clears throat> and how can uh, how can acupuncture help with uh, some of those things? Like, say, what if you know the the guy you know likes to smoke occasionally, and it'd be much you know now they're wanting to get pregnant, and so it'd be better if he could stop. Can acupuncture help with something like that? Oh, absolutely. Acupuncture, when um, assisting in male fertility, it's um, it's good for reducing stress. As Dr. King mentioned, stress is definitely a component for um, fertility issues, as well as helping with um, with oral fixations on certain um, chemicals such as tobacco and alcohol. I mean, we, we know that alcohol and tobacco can definitely influence sperm quality and morphology um, quite a bit. So... Um, with acupuncture, we can certainly help with um, tapering down cravings and reducing stress levels so that the urge and the, the need for the nicotine or the alcohol um, will be diminished mm. for sure. And, um, you know, we, we are also able to access the nervous system, which um, releases neurochemicals such as endorphins and serotonin and other neurotransmitters that actually... Um, help to reduce stress levels and elevate mood mm-hmm. in, in patients. So that's another um, factor uh, that's involved when we're treating uh, patients with acupuncture. So <clears throat> I understand also that, uh, and I'm I'm really excited about this talk that you're doing again. This talk coming up a week from Thursday, Thursday, October twenty eighth. 2010 from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Wyndham Hotel right here on the Avenue of the Arts in Costa Mesa. Again, the phone number 714-797-8356 or the phone number at Coastal Acupuncture 949-646-4325 because uh, at this event you'll be talking not only uh, with regards to issue of fertility but also how to have a healthy uh, pregnancy. A lot of people, um, especially if they're going through um, or even working with a fertility doctor and, you know, the embryo implants and they get uh, pregnant, it's very important that the, in the sense that the pregnancy takes and they're, it's, they're able to uh, take it to full, you know, the, the full duration uh, of gestation. Um, and can acupuncture and naturopathic medicine help with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, from the naturopathic standpoint, I definitely... Uh, talk to my patients about promoting a healthy pregnancy through getting the right nutrients. So generally talk to them about getting, you know, a high-potency prenatal to provide, you know, uh, key essential nutrients. And everybody knows about folic acid, for example, which is essential for um, neural, uh, preventing neural tube defects, for preventing Down syndrome. And uh, in addition to getting essential fatty acids, uh, which can be found in foods, but oftentimes, you know, our fish is, tends to be fairly polluted now. So mm-hmm. we encourage people to, if they do consume fish, to choose small fish like salmon, um, cod, over sole, which is lower in mercury, and to only consume that one, two times a week, but also to um, supplement with fish oil, which is rich in um, essential fatty acids that help with baby's brain development and eye development and has been shown to also support um, uh, promote higher IQs mm. and reduce hyperactivity and learning disorders and, mm. and children. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and these that, are all things you can do right during amazing. the pregnancy. During pregnancy, absolutely, mm-hmm. and during breastfeeding too. That's really key. And another uh, supplement that I think is very essential is the probiotic. Uh, probiotics are healthy strains of bacteria, which is 
is found in food, like fermented uh, soy or tempeh, found in yogurt, but also you can also supplement with it. And one very important strain is lactobacillus acidophilus. And this particular strain is really important for optimizing immune function, immune health, and has been shown in studies to reduce risks of allergies and asthma. So this is more looking at the health of the child down the road, but I think these are things that you know, parents can do early on in utero that can highly impact the health of their child. And uh, these uh, supplements and uh, probiotics, the, are these things available uh, through your clinic? Oh, yes, absolutely. And we choose um, the most high potency, the cleanest uh, supplements that are um, only, you can only purchase through doctor's line. So mm-hmm. we really do our research to make sure the products are clean. Mm-hmm. And we've taken them ourselves, too, during our pregnancy. So. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's so a big difference. Yeah, and I wanted to, Tina, to also to mention about acupuncture and how it can support uh, pregnancy as well. Uh, sure. We, um, in acupuncture, we, see, we tend to see patients through different phases of pregnancy. And, you know, certainly we um, see different cases, you know, in the beginning stage, the first trimester, a lot of women are dealing with, some of the morning sickness um, mm. issues, the nausea and the vomiting. So acupuncture is very well known for assisting in that process of just calming the digestive system down and um, helping to um, settle settle the stomach so that patients don't have that nausea um, occur as often. And there's other herbs that can help as well, such as ginger, for example, which in Chinese medicine, ginger is warm and soothing to the digestive system, and it helps to um, alleviate the uh, nausea and vomiting. So that's one herb that we we usually recommend for our pregnant patients. But um, in addition, we also see women that have a history of habitual miscarriage, Mm -hmm. and when they come to us, they unfortunately have gone through a couple of losses. So for them, really uh, preventing miscarriage and ensuring a healthy pregnancy is, is very important. So they will come to us for acupuncture, herbal medicine, as well as um, vitamin and nutri- nutrient support to help in that process to ensure that their pregnancy is, is a healthy and um, a smooth one. So there are Chinese classic Chinese herbal remedies that have been given for centuries that actually help to support pregnancies, and um, it's, it's what we call calm the fetus, um, relax the uterus to, to ensure um, a healthy pregnancy, and also alleviate symptoms that are very common, um, such as uterine bleeding during the first trimester, which Mm -hmm. is seen in in many cases of pregnancies, too. So um, there are a variety of things that we can use um, within Chinese medicine that can help support a healthy pregnancy, and those are just a few things that we see commonly in our practice. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program today. And I want to also mention to our listeners um, that at your practice at Coastal Acupuncture and Natural Health Center right here in Costa Mesa, you also, it's it's not just limited to uh, fertility issues and pregnancies and and babies and families. You you, um, address, you know, people can come in for any number of reasons that uh, acupuncture can help with. uh, pain management, um, just general healing, stress um, definitely, and uh, quitting smoking. You also have um, be able for women who would like to uh, um, explore bioidentical hormones and that type of thing. So uh, 
I hope that people will check out your website, www.coastalacupuncturectr.com. And could you just uh, give us the particulars again of this event that's coming up a week from this Thursday, October 28th from 6 to 8 p.m.? I'd be glad to. This is Thursday, October 28th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Wyndham Hotel, 3350 Avenue of the Arts here in Costa Mesa. Free self-parking, light of refreshments, but seating is limited. So, but the event is free. There's no the charge. The event is free. Yes, there's no charge for the free event. Free self-parking. But you must RSVP. Please call, since seating is limited, please call 714-797-8356. <clears throat> and Dr. Tang and Tina, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. And uh, I will be coming to the lecture. Uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating, and I think it's amazing that you are so generously offering your time to offer this event as a community service uh, free of charge. So thank, thank you very you. much thank for doing you. it. Thank you. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. We're, we're happy to do it. Okay. Okay. Thanks thank you so much. much. Bye-bye. 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 <clears throat> wow. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, it is it is quite amazing how many people struggle with uh, struggle with issues, um, having, you know, wanting to start a family, and it's getting a little more challenging. <laughs> In this well, day and age, sometimes it, it, it certainly is, and and we know the professor enjoyed his family hugely. Yes, he did. In fact, isn't there a passage that we uh, were talking about earlier there in uh, Humph- Humphrey Carpenter's biography of yes. uh, J.R. Tolkien? Yes, this is from Tani's copy <laughs> of the Tolkien biography, Rather marked up <laughs> by Humphrey Carpenter. Well used and and very rewarding to see how this genius lived his life and worked. Mm. We are reading from the uh, chapter called Northmoor Road. Mm-hmm. Northmoor Road. And this is, this is about the professor and his wife. Those friends and others who knew Ronald and Edith Tolkien over the years never doubted that there was deep affection between them. And it continues, A principal source of happiness to them was their shared love for their family, this bound them together until the end of their lives, and it was perhaps the strongest force in the marriage. They delighted to discuss and mull over every detail of the lives of their children and later of their grandchildren. Mm. And so I had mentioned earlier, um, even though children are not mentioned in The Lord of the Rings, they are certainly implied, well, I mean, in The Hobbit children, but uh, in the movie, remember, we do see in Arwen's vision, her vision uh, of, oh yes, of her of she and King Elisar, you know Aragorn's uh, yes. son. So we see that, and so it will be interesting to see if any children will make it into the movie of The Hobbit. Now, Aragorn the movies, was, movies. Yes, I need to. I need to keep <laughs> that plural. The movies, because at the time of uh, Bilbo's adventure, I believe Aragorn was just about nine years old right. living in Rivendell. However, Legolas Greenleaf, who you know, um, the Elven king that's in The Hobbit is from Mirkwood, and Elven and Legolas was from Mirkwood. So. So he was the prince, um, you know, Elven prince from Mirkwood. So, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be absolutely delightful were uh, Orlando Bloom to make an appearance as Legolas Greenleaf in The Hobbit? <laughs> oh my gosh! And you know, already Pippin and Merry 
those actors have said that they would love to return as the fathers of those characters oh. in the Hobbit movies. Yeah, They've already gone on record saying they want to be involved. Well, and it's very interesting because there's lots of opportunity for some really cool cameo type of... Oh, you know, my just, gosh. You know, like... Yeah. Oh, it, it's going to be it's going to be so amazing. And just as things are disclosed, who gets to be the voice of Smaug? And um, of course, we're all just, you know, sitting on pins and needles waiting to find out who is going to be Bilbo. And for me, of course, I, I'm just wanting to find out who are going to be representing the elf race. Uh, that's going to be amazing. Well, of course, one of the key casting decisions is Thorin Oakenshield. Who is going to play Thorin? Yeah, that's a major role. And wouldn't that be? Uh, yeah, uh, John Rhys Davies. You know, it's a, a well. He has said that he does not want to return as a dwarf. Uh, He's willing to be involved, but he doesn't want to be, be a dwarf smog. again. Because you know, he was also the voice of uh, uh, Treebeard. Yes, and he would make a wonderful smog. And there, are, there are, there's the trees and the things of the old forest. Oh my and, gosh! Yeah, I yes. mean, in the Hobbit, and of course we've got the spiders and all kinds of things. Oh goblins. my gosh! <laughs> goblins, aka orcs. Oh my gosh! Elf princess. Our, it's almost time I for us know, to go. Our adventure goes by so fast. Well, this is what would Arwen do on UCI's voice, KUCI Irvine, the greatest radio station in the history of Middle Earth. We need to pre-announce next week. One week from today, at yes. 4 p.m. Pacific time, we'll be back with our annual Halloween show. Yes, and we will be talking about some of the darker creatures of Middle Earth. And as there will be um, many people, um, I bet next year, one of the most popular, or if not that, then the following year, but maybe even next year, with you know, because they'll be having the trailers and you know things coming oh out. Oh, my Hobbit. gosh. You know, we'll see a real reprisal of uh, Middle Earth costumes coming out. And, of course, all the action figures and all of that kind of stuff, which um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm an elf, but uh, I'm just an elf kid at heart. <laughs> right, right. And, and I'm a hobbit at heart, and this is my set of movies. This is, I think, primarily about me. Yes. The, the Lord of the Rings, I think, was primarily about, I mean, in my mind, it was primarily about the elves and their role. No, it was pretty hobbit-centric. It still was. I mean, it was, it, was the, it was the story of, you know, the humble that, you know, of all the people that could have taken right. the, the ring, it wasn't wizards or elves or even mortals that oh, saved yes. the day. It was the humble hobbits that never so, had any rings yeah. to begin with. But this is this is the backstory. This is you know it's like yes. with Star Wars. We got to see five, you know, four, <laughs> five, and six, which we all loved. But yes. of course, we wanted to know how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader? Right. And so now we get to find out how was it that this ring came to Frodo, and we'll get to find out. And we'll see Bilbo's character transformation from this, yeah. you know, mild fuddy duddy into. A hero. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to say goodbye, Elf we Princess. Have to say goodbye. So I hope people will stay in, stay tuned. Coming up in just a few moments, a blue and gold report on athletics at here at, KC, at UC Irvine, and uh, we'll come back and see us next week. I am Tani Tanuvio, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, and Milo, my dear Hobbit friend, Alin Salalumin Amentielvo, and. Till next week, a star shines in the hour of our meeting, and the stars will be shining so bright tonight with all this beautiful rain. This is Milo <laughs> Longsdown at your service, as now, as ever, Elf Princess. This is KUCI Irvine.